Hello and welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. We're back. We got a heinous crime for you. We're back. We're back. Where are we going? Uh, Yeah, we were gone for Patreon last week and we decided not to tell anybody, you know. You know, I yeah. didn't even I didn't even say it on TCG Weekly. I just it just totally slipped my mind. That's my bad, guys. Well, my bad. That's just all the more reason to be a patron member because sometimes we forget to even tell you that you're not a part yeah. of the action. Exactly. But if you're a patron member, you were a part of the action anyway. It didn't matter. Yeah, we're so busy over there on Patreon, we just don't have time to tell people what we're doing. Apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. Well, we're back with a, a, a devastating episode. A great yes, suggestion. and a case suggestion from a great patron member, Jana B, up in mm-hmm. Colorado. And Absolutely. it's kind of funny because I was actually watching the Colorado Avalanche just before this recording. We were recording it on a different time, different day. Uh, kind of rarity, recording on a Saturday night. And yes, it's we are. Game two of the series, the, fin- the NHL Finals. The Avalanche are facing off against the Lightning, who have won back-to-back Stanley Cup Finals. And the Avalanche haven't won a cup in over 20 years. So it's super exciting for them. They're up one nothing yeah. in the series and they're up three nothing as of the end of the first quarter as we're beginning to record this. So it's just it's just not right that a team from Tampa Bay wins so much hockey. Right? I mean Tampa dude, it's Tampa Bay at this point, man. Seriously. Tampa is just winning everything. Won oh Super yeah, that's Bowl true. Recently. Yep. That's true. Lightning one and then uh was didn't Jeez. the Rays did the did the Tampa Bay Rays win uh, um I think they have one recently. They have yeah. one in the last couple of years. Yeah, they're they're dominating down there in Tampa. I don't know what's going yep. on. It's it's that Tampa Tom attitude. They think they're great now. They got Tom Brady. Well, I'm rooting for the Avalanche in this one. You know, the the Lightning yeah. just got back to back. They've had their time, and the Avalanche exactly. are clearly the best team in the NHL this year. I think they were last year too before the Knights took them out. Oh. But uh, it's a lot of Colorado this week uh, because uh-huh. we're our case is Colorado centric. We're doing uh, a guy who is the last person to probably ever be executed in Colorado in that state because it's since been abolished and it was already very uh, it was shaky rare anyways, that they right? would it, yeah it was very rare that they would actually kill someone anyway on death row as it was so yeah it took forever to get this guy killed and he deserved it I mean I'm just yeah gonna go ahead and this say guy that. I mean, his I'm usually not an advocate for the death penalty but this this guy right well, here it was clear cut I mean he even admitted to doing it um, yeah. as did his partner in crime there. His mm-hmm. wife, one of those rare situations where a husband we, and wife yeah, it's like and a, kill a woman. It's like the American Fred and Rose West here. Mm-hmm. Almost. Yeah. Thankfully, because, they were stopped before they were able to be as successful as those two. But That's what I was about to say. Thankfully, they weren't repeat offenders. Yeah. But, uh, yeah All man. right, let's dive into it. Let's do it. Some people just bad scenes. Cut them open with a knife just to watch them bleed. There's fear on the table and it's time to feed. That monster inside is on his knees. Just begging, waiting on that sweet release. They love it when you fight them, even say please. This is just a routine, acting out a daydream. Really want to hear you scream. Motherfucker, use a bad suspense. You ain't never gonna grow. You ain't never gonna change. You can put on a show, but you'll always be the same. You ain't never gonna grow. You ain't never gonna change You can put on a show But you'll always be the same Always be the same Now you got yourself a wife and you think it's better It's sunny days for a while then it's nasty weather Two souls into one but it's from hell Come to earth to fuck it up like a motel Back for mercy and hit him with the oh well But for real Garden so full of weeds, nothing came up, came up, came up, came up, cause you were bad seed. You ain't never gonna grow. You ain't never gonna change. You can put on a show, but you'll always be the same. You ain't never gonna grow. You ain't never gonna change. You can put on a show, but you'll always be the
ain't never gonna grow You ain't never gonna change You can put on a show But you'll always be the same You ain't never gonna grow You ain't never gonna change You can put on a show But you'll always be the same for case this week we're going to colorado as we mentioned their death penalty was abolished in 2020 very recently Ooh, very um, recent. but even before it was abolished the state followed through on the death penalty very rarely as we brought up uh, with the most recent execution taking place back in 1997 the final execution was for a particularly gruesome crime that crime of course is our case this week Naturally. it was a brutal killing involving the kidnapping rape and torture and murder of a young a young mother whose only crime was basically being in the wrong place at the wrong time Yes. Tragic. These horrific monsters moved in next door, in the farm next door. I was about in to a say, rural area. it kind of sucks when the wrong place, wrong time is at your home. <laughs> yeah. 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 You just had, she just had some monsters move in next door. Yep. And mm. this, this creep got his eye on her and basically plotted a plan with his, yep. another, another situation where two people that, you know, unfortunately fate, had them cross paths due yep. to her responding to an ad in a newspaper of all places. And then these two evil bastards meet up and kerosene to fire. This is history. Yeah. So all let's right. start out by talking about the victim in this case, let's Jenny may or Virginia may. She was born as, um, the small town of Byers, Colorado has a population barely over a thousand. It's a quiet little community of farms and ranches. It's a place where crime is virtually non-existent and where residents all know each other. Virginia Louise McLennan was born on August 17, 1952 in Denver, Colorado. She shares a birthday with Sean Penn, Robert De Niro, John Gruden, and Donnie Wahlberg. Dang, a couple of gangsters. Yeah. Am I right? <laughs> a couple of really good actors. Yeah. 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 Sean then, Penn, De Niro, and then the yeah. other Wahlberg, uh, yeah. and Coach, Coach Gruden. Can't forget yeah. Coach Gruden. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess we can forget him. Yeah, his uh, his legacy's been a bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Never mind. Let's forget Coach Gruden. Let's just don't worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> I can't stand Sean Penn though. He's so annoying. It's just like <laughs> such the cliche annoying actor, dude. He's just like got to yeah. be involved in everything, bro. It's like takes his shit way too serious. Too serious. He's built a legacy. He's like, always involved in conflicts, and it's like, dude, just stick to acting. And shut up. I don't know. That's just how I feel. Yeah. Like Bono. He needs to just stick to music. Quit trying to save the world, yeah. bro. Just just do your job, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Virginia, or as as we would we'll come to know her, is Ginny. Um, her parents were Rod and Alice McLennan. Mm-hmm. Um, she was nicknamed Ginny by her friends and family, and that's what she would go by through the rest of her life. Um, she was a beloved figure and longtime resident of Byers, Colorado, that small town that we mentioned. Right. And she had a reputation for always being there for someone when they were going through a hard time. She was that friend you could go to and have a sit down and, and really – she would she would get you feeling better by the time you left. Right. 
when she was 16, her younger brother, Scott, was horribly burned in an accident. And it was a tragedy that took its toll on the family. Um, but despite her young age, she did her best to take on the role of caring for the three other siblings while her mother and father stood behind, uh, stood by Scott in the hospital. And her parents would later credit her credit her for keeping the McLennan family together through the most difficult times. So kind of the, you know, the centerpiece of this this family. It seemed like yeah. she was the the glue that held everything together. Dude, underestimated is the role of the oldest sibling. I don't care how, like what kind of family you come from. The, the the role of the oldest sibling is always way more than just being a kid. Yeah, the tone setter, right? Like yeah. if the oldest sibling's a shithead. But they're it's just also, that much easier for everyone else to be fuck ups, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, what is your example? But most of time, course. most of the time, they're not because they felt yeah. that responsibility. You know what I'm saying? And like, oldest siblings, man, they are parents, parents' best friends. Honestly, like they help so much, so much. Yeah. So after graduating from Fort Lewis College with an associate's degree in business, Jenny went on to work for a cattle company in Denver. There, she met a guy named Gary, Gary May. Uh, who was a business associate working for a Denver consulting firm, and the two of them fell in love. They would get married in 1976, and they would buy a ranch about 25 miles north of Byers, and the newlyweds would start to uh, settle down to start their new lives. And within three years, they would have um, a couple of children and were incredibly happy together. Two ch- they would have two kids together. Yeah. And live in a farm life. You know, they had right a, a pretty large farm, it sounded like. Yep. And though her husband's in, name is Gary, not to be confused with the with the douchebag we're going to talk about later. Yeah, so you yeah. got good Gary and bad Gary in good this Gary, case. There we go. Good Gary and bad Gary. This is good Gary we're talking about yeah. still. Yeah, see, to, to me it's hard to hear bad Gary because my dad's name is Gary and he's a great guy. So it's like, <laughs> it's, right? it's weird for me, but it is what it is. <laughs> but at least there's a good Gary. There's a good Gary in this case to balance it out. That's right. So That's right. Things always find a way to level out. Yeah. Um, in the spring of 1986, the small town of Byers gained two new residents, a mysterious couple who moved from Wichita, Kansas, home of BTK. Mm-hmm. I can't think of Wichita without thinking of BTK. Unfortunately, he's just synonymous with that fucking town. There, there's a few towns. There's a few places that have just been ruined because of killers. And Milwaukee with uh, Milwaukee with the cannibal. With Dahmer. Dahmer. Da- Dahmer, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Although Milwaukee's like, I don't know. When I think of Milwaukee, I also think of like beer and cheese and like yeah, good stuff. I, yeah, I don't really think of just Jeffrey Wichita, Dahmer. I can't think of anything else other than BTK's <laughs> stupid face. That's all I can think of. Now I'm wrecking my brain trying to think of another city like that. <laughs> I can't. Kansas City's Wait pretty, a minute. I mean, Kansas City's got a lot going on, but I think of Bob Bardella too when I think of Kansas City. Yeah. Where's Ed Gein from? Wasn't he from like a super small town oh, in Wisconsin? Well, yeah, it was another small town in Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if I heard the town, I would obviously think of him. But yeah, Wichita is big enough that everyone's heard of Wichita. You know, mm-hmm. where is that place that Ed Gein's from? Yeah, what was it Plain Farms or something like Plain Plainfield? Something? something Plains, Plainville, something like that. Yeah, Plainville or Plainfield. I think it's Plainfield, mm. Wisconsin. Mm. Yeah. Ed Gein put that name to the test. Plain? You want to see plain? I'm going to put skin, make lamps out of skin <laughs> shade. <laughs> Anything but plain, Jesus Christ. I'm going to live surrounded by human bones. <laughs> oh. It's not plain over here. No, no. He spiced <clears throat> it up a bit, so, that's for sure. Yeah, so the the little town um, would uh, welcome these two new newcomers. Um, they would be 42-year-old Gary Lee Davis and his wife, 34-year-old Rebecca Becky Fincham. Um, and you know, this, this small town of a thousand people was, you know, of buyers, Colorado, they wanted to welcome in new people. They wanted to get to know everybody. That's how these small towns are. But these two were not all that, uh, into that sort of thing. They wanted to keep to themselves. 
Right. That's because they had some serious skeletons in their closet and some demons that yes. they wanted to exercise no doubt. in this small town. They both did. Yeah. So aside from showing up at church a few times and uh, once at a ball game, the couple kept to themselves. And of course, the small town of Byers would gossip and speculate about this new couple that moved in, mm-hmm. specifically Gary Davis. There were, there were rumors that Gary had spent some time in prison in his home state of Kansas and that he had a lot of trouble with people, specifically women. And they weren't, they weren't off on that, but not in their wildest dreams because they imagined how bad his past actually was. Oh, I, mean, I know. They, even their wildest speculation couldn't come close to touching how much of a monster this guy was. No, absolutely not. 42-year-old Gary Lee Davis was, in the simplest terms, destined for evil. Let's get into his childhood. He was born in Wichita, Kansas. Uh, yeah. under the birth name of Gary Gehrer, uh, to an alcoholic father and an abusive stepmother. He became estranged from his family at a young age and later claimed to have suffered sexual abuse at the hands of his older stepbrothers. Mm. So setting okay. himself up for what he would become. Or, yeah, or trying to give himself a, an out, an excuse for the way he, be, he turned out to, mm-hmm. you know, because obviously oh, all this information excuses. was after the arrest, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, he dropped out of school in the ninth grade in 19, and in 1961, he enlisted in the Marine Corps, uh, a career choice that ultimately went nowhere. We've seen, God, it's such a common thread, right? Right. Uh, abusive father, mm-hmm. uh, shitty stepmother or something like that, like a shitty mother figure. Then you go into the military for a short amount of time. Sexual abuse. Sexual abuse as well. Sexual abuse. Yep. Yeah. We're checking off some boxes here. Seriously. He's, he's put through the, he's put through the ringer, but at the same time, there's plenty of people that turned out fine. That's had mm-hmm. probably worse childhoods. Early in his life, Gary began display, began displaying extreme violent behavior, most of it directed at women. During the 19, 1960s and 1970s, it's estimated that he raped more than 15 women, many of them teenage girls, and mm-hmm. took sadistic pleasure doing so. We'd come to find this out later from letters that he wrote to a confidant yeah. while in death row. So like, that's where we get some of this information about you know what he had done, because obviously he wasn't... These aren't on his record. I think right. there's one or two rapes on his record prior to the murder, which we're going to get into. But mm-hmm. 15, obviously, he wouldn't be free to commit this murder had he been convicted of 15 rapes. Right. That's just what he confessed to, right? You would hope so, at least. I mean, even the ones that he got caught on, just straight up slaps on the wrist, though. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's- I think you violently rape more than like one person for me. But like, if you get out and do it again... That's death, like you're either done. death sentence or like life sentence. You never yeah. see the light of day again. Like you're clearly a repeat offender. You're never going to be corrected, no matter what anyone does. Right, right. At least, at least the methods that we have in place here can't correct you. Mm-hmm. Of his time in the '60s and '70s, raping you know fifth, more than 15 minute uh, women, according to him, he has a quote. Oh. He says, "I just lay there with a smirk on my face, yelling at them and watching them cry and beg me not to hurt them." I had uh, I had to touch. I needed some pussy by force to hear a girl or woman scream and beg as it as I did. Every person I raped, I enjoyed. If they didn't cry or beg, it wouldn't ma- it would take the excitement out of it for me. Mm. God, that's, that's spoken like a true monster there. Yeah, yeah, that's too much insight right there. That's really all you need to know about this guy right here. Mm-hmm. I mean, that right there is it tells you that's a repeat offender. That mm-hmm. guy is addicted to that shit. That's what he needs. Yeah. So after leaving the Marines, Gary married a woman named Tanya Ann Tatum. And not shockingly, their relationship didn't last long. They divorced after spending barely three years together. Then in 1974, he married a 17-year-old girl named Leona Coates, with whom he ultimately had three children, but this relationship was also doomed from the start. 
Yono later reported that Gary was mentally and physically abusive. He would often get drunk and beat her, and on at least one occasion, he threatened her with a gun. Damn. Dude, he just wants, he just wants like a violent relationship at this point. I think he's trying to do, he's trying to do the normal thing. He's trying to do the right thing. You know, he's trying to be the husband, and he's just not cut out for it. Well, he would later blame a lot of his actions on alcohol. And yeah. even here, you know, she admitted that when he would drink, that's when some mm-hmm. people just should never drink. Some people should never pick up that's a beer true. or bottle. I agree with like, that. It's, yeah. Yeah. And he had an alcoholic father as well. So, you mm-hmm. know, genetics would say that it's going to affect you the same way. If you had an alcoholic abusive father, I mean, chances are it's going to affect you the same way if you take after him. Yeah. As I take a swig of a Corona, like yeah. you, it, it is, I know you're myself on alcohol is that I'm, yeah, I'm a friendly, I'm, I get more friendly when I drink. Yeah. And that's most people, you know, it brings out, a, a, I guess maybe in a way it brings out your true self and your true feelings. Like, you know, people get like what they call liquid courage or yeah. whatever, but like you're able to, a lot of people are, that are kind of reserved or able to open up to people and tell you what they're really thinking when they drink. Or if you've got these demons you're, you're hiding, alcohol can let you exercise them. And that's what he says in this. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. I think it just allows these these little blocks that you've put up in your mind and in these little social instances that you've made for yourself, it just drops them all. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It's like in certain social things, like, oh, in this group, I, I wouldn't say this typically, but hey, right now, I don't give a fuck. You know, you just feel, like you say, you just feel more confident. It's the liquid courage. Yeah. <clears throat> so with his second wife, Leona, he tried numerous times to force her into a threesome with him and another woman and became furious when she refused. Bro, you got married. Okay? Yeah. Like, listen to the vows of marriage. Like, together, you and her. Like, right, right. If that was their death vows, to his right? part. Can't there's no threesome of... in that. Like, it's <laughs> it's just not how it goes. <laughs> like, I mean, there's plenty of people who have open marriages, you know? Yeah, but not? it's... But that's usually yeah. discussed before the marriage. Well, right. also consensually, like it, it, when she says no multiple times and you're still trying to force, come on, come on. Like, yeah. That's you know not cool. I don't know. That's not cool. And when you get married, you should just assume that's probably never going to happen. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> it's probably not going to happen. Maybe <laughs> when you've been together 30 years and you're like, whatever, you're old and bored I, I, and you both want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm but, sure that happens for more couples than you think. I think more couples experiment in that than, than, than you think. Hey, yeah. if it works for you, but it's yeah. got to be both people really want to do it. It's got to be consensual. It can't be like one Just is like dragging the other along. Things. That's never going to work out. If one's dragging the other one into it, yeah, and the other one, like the one that doesn't want to do it, it's just doing it because they don't want to get divorced, and they're just kind of like trying to go with it. And maybe I'll like it. They're not oh, gonna. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be. Yeah, you both have to be all in for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because that's gonna be a tough pill to swallow watching your your mate doing that with someone else. No doubt, no doubt. Regardless of how prepared you are. <laughs> yep. So becoming bored with his second wife, uh, Coates, uh, Gary would turn his predatory eye to other women unfortunate enough to cross his path. In 1979, in Baca County, Colorado, he lured a young convenience store clerk outside, claiming he needed help with the ice machine. When the clerk came to help, he held her at knife point and dragged her in- into an alley where he attempted to rape her. After a violent struggle, the clerk managed to escape and call the police. Good for her for fighting and, and getting right away on. from him. Yep. Because who knows what would have happened. I mean, we see that he's capable of murder later on, and he's got her secluded in a dark area. Just another example. He very well could have just ended it. Just another example yeah, of I fighting mean, we, instead of begging. We did a whole episode called yeah. Run, Fight, Hide, or whatever it was titled. Yeah. Tools to Escape a Serial Killer or a Killer. Yep. 
that was the biggest, biggest, biggest takeaway from that whole thing was just like fight. Don't let them take you to a secluded area. Right. Just don't make a scene. They don't want you to go. They, they want you to go quietly. They don't want you to, to fight back. Exactly. Like most predators, they don't want a fight. They just want an easy kill. You know? Exactly. Most criminals, they want an easy score, period, whatever they're going for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for this crime, Gary would be caught but served less than a year in prison for attempting to rape a woman at knife point. And of course, after his release, he went right back at it just months after getting out of prison for that one. He set his sights, his sights on a 15 year old who was the daughter of one of his wife's friends. Wow. One night he cornered her and raped her while holding a knife to her throat. Shocker. He did exactly what he would just got a jail for. Yeah. See, that should be it. I agree with that. I think it should be life sentence, like a sexual, especially a violent sexual assault. You know what I'm saying? Mm Mm-hmm. Twice in a row. Yeah, man, you got to go away. Amazingly, his second wife, Leona Coates, was still with him at this point, and this was the final straw for her. After oh, the second rape, this was the second right. rape at knife point, you know, the first one getting a year in prison for, mm-hmm. this is when she finally had enough. And oh, in 1982, okay. she would divorce Gary Davis and win custody of their three children. Thank God. Gary would later be convicted of rape and sentenced to eight years in prison for this one, of which he only served four years. So attempting to rape a woman at knife point, then raping a 15-year-old girl uh, at mm-hmm. knife point, and he to- serves a total of five years for these. Not even, right? Wow. You got one year before, right? And then four oh, for yeah. this one. Yeah. So okay. five years for these two. Five years. And I mean, that's really and, no, that's no, that's no light sentence, man. Five years of your life, that's quite a bit. And yet... He still learned but nothing. But look what he did to these women, though. Or these girls, no, I I'm say. not one saying. One of them being I'm a 15-year-old girl. Like, that's a lifetime of hell that she now has to deal with having that happen to her. No, so, no, no, no. I'm not saying. I know saying, what you're saying. But, no, I'm not saying it's enough of a punishment. I'm saying that yeah. five years in prison and you still weren't able to correct yourself in any way. You're still not able to deal with these feelings, these emotions. You're still not able to rehabilitate yourself in some way. Then, yeah, man, that's it. Five years is a long time. Yeah. You should have been able to do something with that. You know what I'm saying? That's yeah, a long time to think, think about that I think he was just biding shit. his time to get out and be a predator again. And That's that all he was, he was doing. just all he wanted to do. Yeah. And he was doing prison the right way to get out early. He was described as a model inmate by correctional staff. He successfully went through alcohol alcoholism treatment program and earned special privileges. He also spent a lot of time writing and, and putting personal ads in newspapers. So unbelievable. And he's just was, a piece of shit. He was improving himself, but he's just a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah, he did what everything you, you said he could have been doing, but he still was uh, just biding time to get out and, and rape some more women. What are you going to do? Yeah, I like you. Like, literally, if you're not watching the YouTube video, Michael's just throwing his arms up in the air. I, like, is that's exactly... You can kind of tell on the audio. You're just like, ah, I'm at a loss for words. I don't know. <laughs> he's, really, he's working on his alcohol problem and everything else, yeah, but still right. gets out, starts drinking again, and then going right it's back just, to what he does. You know damn well what that shit's going to do to you. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. Unbelievable. So... We mentioned he was uh, spending time in prison writing and putting personal ads in newspapers. Should you be able to put personal ads in the newspaper if you're in fucking prison? <laughs> Why I don't not? think you should. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> what do you like? Right. What, what good is that going to do? I don't know, but you know the, the newspapers need funding too, man. You know they'll sell a slot to anybody. Prisoners' money is just. I was going to say. I mean, I guess they're not really like looking into <laughs> where you're at or what you're doing all that much. They're just like right. you got the money to pay for the ad. All right, cool. What is it? Yeah, you just call in and tell them what you want, yeah. and there you go. Yeah. Anybody? So while doing these ads, he would make an unfortunate connection for society. Uh, soon, he began corresponding with a woman 
who responded to his classified ads in the newspaper, a woman named Rebecca Fincham. And this is, as we mentioned, a truly unfortunate twist of fate that these two found each other because she was also a monster. Yeah. Fincham was an overweight, recently divorced mother of two daughters who had left left her alcoholic husband after she began an affair with another woman. After he like began Gary Davis, an affair with another he, woman, right? Oh, after he began having an affair with another woman. Well, yeah. I wouldn't put it past her to have an affair with a woman too. No, no. I'm just like, saying. Yeah. It was... Um, but she was much like Gary Davis in that she also had a criminal record, having served three years of probation for a child exploitation charge. Mm. And due to this conviction, she was ordered to uh, send her children out of state to live with her parents and grew increasingly increasingly lonely. I, and I guess you'd have to be pretty damn lonely to be responding to classified ads for dudes in prison. Uh, That's pretty lonely. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. That is lonely. <laughs> That's a lonely movie. Damn. That's, That's like the back move. pages That's of eHarmony right there, bro. It's like way... Yeah, earliest post Mary. you filter earliest post first it's all the prison ones mm-hmm. <laughs> so davis and fincham uh exchanged explicit letter explicit letters for months discussing their most graphic sexual desires davis found in fincham the perfect woman a woman who shared his desert his disturbing fantasies and showed him the underlying attention or undying attention and loyalty that he craved mm-hmm. yeah that's all he needed was some kerosene to that fire man perfect yeah. So in 1984, after he uh, actually while he was still in prison, they married with a priest performing the ceremony over the prison phone. The following year, Davis was released from prison, and he and Fincham moved to an apartment in Aurora, Colorado, where they found work renting out rooms to new residents. Hmm. However, they weren't the typical couple that's just going to work a nine to five here at this point in their lives. They they know what they want to do. Oh um, yeah. Definitely. And they needed some more space to do it. So, however, so after Davis was accused of scamming his tenants, the pair moved again, this time to Byers, Colorado, that small town yeah. where our victim is living on a farm and they move uh, you know to what? a farm. And they, You know what I can't understand about this story, Lauren? Where did all the money come from to do all this? It's like they bought an apartment and was renting out rooms of the apartment building, right? And they, I guess they sold that and then they just pick up and buy this whole property in Byers, Colorado. This guy just got out of prison. She's got a record. What? My best guess is that what Fincham, maybe her ex-husband cheating on her. Maybe she got some nice, Oh, maybe know, she got some alimony out of that or? divorce. Yeah. Well, maybe she was able to get a good job again, but I mean, God, with child, child charges, it's tough to get a job doing anything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no doubt. Hmm. That's just, I was just, yes. it just occurred to me. I'm like, where the hell did they get all this fucking money? <laughs> right. Oh, man. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. So they, they moved to Byers, Colorado. And in Byers, Gary would find work as a farmhand on a ranch or on a ranch next door to the May family. Okay. And that's where he would get his eyes on the victim in this case. Yeah. Could have been anybody, that's honestly. A, I mean, this guy, if he spends yeah, time around, that's the scary women, part about it. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It absolutely. Is. Any young, attractive woman. Mm-hmm. So yeah. since their two, their marriage two years earlier, the sex life between Gary Davis and Rebecca Fincham had slowed down and grown old for Gary. They'd even tried making videotapes to spice things up, but when that didn't work, they began cruising around the countryside looking for a pretty girl. Oh, God. Mm. It's so much scary when a, when a couple works together like this. I We've know. done Anytime some of these cases, two people too, because do. It's just way, it, it just brings their success rate way up because a woman's guards down when a woman approaches them. That's true. I didn't think about you that. Know, it's just... You're not expecting that. You see a couple pull up and the and the woman approaches you about something like yes. you're, you're not expecting to get snatched up in that scenario. No, it's so much easier to to conduct this ruse 
with a woman as your front person. You're right. Mm -hmm. You're right. Gary was once again setting his sights on new targets. While he was working on the ranch in Byers, other women had the misfortune of catching his eye. Several women later reported that Gary Davis had tried to lure them into his car to no avail. But there was one woman in particular that Gary had become so obsessed with that he had planned to get her while whether or not she was consenting. And that was Virginia May. Uh, Jenny May, who we talked about earlier and went over her right. upbringing. Mm-hmm. Gary had first met Jenny at church and had become obsessed with her as soon as he laid out his eyes on her. When he would work on the fence next, next to the McLennan ranch, Davis would often make obscene comments toward Jenny about how he wanted to have sex with her and her sister-in-law. Sister-in-law. Oof, this is one of those things, bro. Like, if I'm Jenny's husband and she tells me this, this guy is getting a very yeah. serious fucking warning. Like, bro, do not look at my fucking wife. Do not talk to her. Yeah, for real. Or it's it's going to get ugly. And we have, you know, access to farm equipment and there's a lot of land out here. And you <laughs> might end up in a hole. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You're going to disappear, bitch. On one occasion, Gary even urinated towards their ranch while crowing, come on, Virginia, baby. Come on. I'm here. Give it, come to me. So oh, this is what I'm saying. At this point, yeah. if she, maybe she didn't relay this information to her husband, who was also named Gary, the good Gary. Right. But like, yeah, this something needs to be done already. This has gone way too far. Like, that's not fucking okay. No, absolutely not. I'm imagining that good Gary is probably supporting his family, so he probably has a job during this type of thing. Yeah. Whereas Gary is the bad Gary is the farm hand, so he's around the ranch all day. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Doing whatever the fuck that is. So yeah, yeah. This ranch that uh, Jenny lived on with her husband was massive, apparently, because when she was abducted, we later find out that Gary was on the other side of the ranch. He was there, but like uh, it's it, it, some seminar or something on the other side. This thing was just massive, apparently. Oh okay. Wow. Um. So Jenny, during these moments, these weird moments with this guy on the next ranch over mostly ignored his public displays of lewdness, which didn't deter him. Um, he, he did later admit that he liked when he got more of a rise out of them. So I'm sure he was hoping for a reaction from her. She wasn't giving it to him. Yep. Um, but nonetheless, he can, he would concoct an elaborate plan with his wife to kidnap Jenny May from her home, take her to an isolated area and have a quote unquote threesome with the young woman. Threesome is not the right word. No, that's threesome is for three consenting adults. Right. That's not the right word. That's this is yeah. a fucking abduction and rape. Yes, this yes, this and is abduction and team rape right here. Unfortunately, his newlywed wife Rebecca was a monster as well, so she went along with this plan. And they would attempt the first time to enact this plan on the, the late afternoon of July twenty first, nineteen eighty six. Ginny May's sister in law Sue McLennan received a strange phone call. It was from the. It was from. Uh, Davis's wife, Rebecca Fincham, Mm -hmm. she says, quote, is your husband home? Fincham asked. No, he's out. Sue responded, perplexed. Oh, that's okay. Fincham continued. I just have some clothes to drop off. Thought your kids might want them. So this is their plan. They're going to come over. With her husband being home. Such a weird conversation. Well, they they just, I know, right? If, yeah, if you're the one on the other end of the phone call, you're like, why are you asking if my hub, what is that? Yeah, you could drop off the clothes, whether he's home or not. Why do you need to ask that? Exactly. That's a red flag. Of course, they wanted to know that. They want to make sure that the husband's not around when they do this. Right. So a few minutes later, a car drove up to Sue's home on the McLennan Ranch, and it was Fincham and Davis. Fincham got out and began walking to Sue's driveway, leaving her husband in the car. But she wasn't carrying clothes, and she said that that she wanted to bring over. And upon seeing a male ranch hand standing nearby, uh, Rebecca began to panic. Quote, I thought your husband wasn't home. 
She stayed only long enough to have some iced tea. Then she and Davis quickly drove away, leaving Sue McLennan bewildered and confused. (laughs) Thank God for that ranch hand, dude. But it would have been, basically, it would have ended up being Sue's sister-in-law that would have ended up being the victim here. They would have just abducted her, I'm guessing. Yeah. Because I don't know where Ginny was at this time for this first attempt. I'm, I'm guessing what happened in this scenario was they called, they heard a woman answer, assumed it was Ginny, but it was actually Sue. Oh. And tried to enact their plan, but when they got there, between the ran- the male ranch hand standing nearby, but also realizing it wasn't Jenny, it was Sue, and that wasn't their intended target, they right. called off this initial this initial attack. But Jenny and Sue live in two different homes; they would know that, right? But maybe on the same ranch. I don't know. Okay, maybe they got them confused. They were new there. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Okay. Sue McLennan, nonetheless, didn't know it, but she had just. Uh, had an extremely close brush with death. The only things they had brought with them were a rope and a 22 caliber rifle. No clothes for don- for donating. Yeah. Davis and Fincham had intended to kidnap Sue and rape her, and the presence of the male ranch hand was the only thing that saved her life. They intended to in- abduct and rape somebody, whether it was Sue or Ginny. Yeah. I suppose. Maybe he was kind of uh, hesitant to tell Rebecca about his fascination with Ginny because he didn't want her getting too jealous. So he kind of made it out like, yeah, we can just take anybody. And maybe, you know, Sue's uh, husband, we know Sue's husband probably isn't home. So we'll try, we'll try her house first. Who knows, Mm -hmm. man? I don't know. I think they were just, they didn't really give a shit. They just wanted to inflict pain on people. They were just sadist. (laughs) Honestly. Hi, everyone. It's Elise from True Crime Cat Lawyer. That's right. I've combined my three favorite things into a podcast. Cats, true crime, and lawyering. Every other Thursday, my co-host Winston and I bring you a new case from the Pacific Northwest. Winston is my sassy sidekick with a mustache who can often be found donning a bow tie. In other words, she's my cat. Winston and I are passionate about true crime and we love doing this podcast. As of this recording, we've released over 30 regular episodes and a few bonus episodes. Our episodes are focused on the victims and sharing their stories, something we take a lot of pride in. We're working hard to produce true crime content in an ethical way. Plus, every quarter, Winston and I donate our ad proceeds and Patreon proceeds to a true crime or animal-related nonprofit organization. If you're from the Pacific Northwest or you just enjoyed true crime, Winston and I would love for you to check out our show. You can find us on all the major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Good Pods. We hope you'll join us for some true crime in the Pacific Northwest. So on that same day, dude, that same day, later that day at about 6.30 p.m. on July 21st, 1986, they made another phone call at 6 p.m. Um, and this time they got a hold of Ginny. She received the phone call and like she had done, like they had done with Sue, they asked if Ginny's husband was at home. Ginny unfortunately said that he was not. And they said that they had some used clothing they wanted to give to Ginny. Uh, for her two children and they told her that they would be stopping by to drop them off and at about 6 30 that evening gary and rebecca drove up to the may family home on the mclennan ranch outside jenny may was playing with her four-year-old daughter krista and seven-year-old son brandon upon seeing davis davis and fincham pull up to the driveway she walked over to greet them at this point rebecca asked jenny may if she could borrow some wire stretchers from a tool shed on the property I had to look up what this is. I guess, I mean, it was pretty obvious once I 
saw it. Yeah. I was like wire stretcher, but yeah, it's for like doing fencing, right? Yeah. It almost sounds like one of those things, those made up tools that contractors tell newbies like, Hey man, go get mm-hmm. the wire stretcher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't have enough wire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but no, this is their way thing. of isolating yeah. Jenny from her kids apparently. <clears throat> so when Jenny went to the tool shed with Fincham and Davis following closely behind, uh, the kids were still watching, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, kids are curious. These people show up and they're, you know, walking away with mommy. My kids would be following as well, for right. sure. They witnessed as Gary punched Ginny in the face, knocking her to the ground. Rebecca noticed that a four-year-old, Krista, was watching and told her to get inside while Gary dragged Ginny May to his car. They then forced Ginny into the back seat where he tied her up and they drove away in a hurry. Mm. And it wouldn't be until... An hour and a half later at 8 p.m. when Gary May, the good Gary, returned to his home from a marketing strategy strategy meeting on the other end of the ranch. He expected to soon have dinner with Ginny and her children, but he found that uh, all that was in the home was their two children, and they were terrified. And actually, the daughter was was hiding when he got home. Um, And when he asked her what happened, four-year-old Krista, who was clearly scared and hiding in the home, said, uh, when he said, where's mommy, she said, She's not here. Becky took her. Um, At this point, Gary ran outside to his radio in his truck, sounding the alarm to Jenny's father, Rod, and others. And they would spend some time searching the entire ranch, but found no trace of Jenny. Um, Then at about 9 p.m., an hour later, Gary May called police and told them that his wife was missing. And it would take two hours for a deputy to show up to the ranch. And once he arrived, it wasn't much help. Yeah. Gary would later recall, this is enraging. He would later recall that the deputy seemed unconcerned with Jenny's safety. Quote, this happens all the time. The deputy told Gary May, these housewives get bored with their lives and take off with another guy. Are you fucking kidding me? Wow. Yeah. Wow. That is a bold claim, man. What's amazing is that this fan, like we heard about how this town, this small town, everybody knows Jenny May, right? Like, right. She grew up here and she's not this type of person that would just run and leave her kids on a whim like this. Right, right. It makes maybe, no sense. Yeah. Well, maybe the, the the sheriff doesn't know her that well, you know what I'm saying? And he probably well, doesn't. Well, it was a deputy. Oh, it was a deputy. deputy. Maybe he was new. Oh, yeah. yeah I don't know. Yeah. Oof. But, of course, Gary May was furious. He demanded for the deputy to listen to him and to begin a search. Begrudgingly, the officer decided to, take Ginny, uh, to talk to Jenny's children. Brandon May told police that his mother had been, quote, taken away by a man and woman driving an older model Buick. His description of the couple seemed to match that of Gary Davis and Rebecca Fincham, further corroborating Krista May's account. Due to the circumstantial evidence implicating Davis, police drove to his house on the neighboring ranch. Nobody was home, so officers began a routine patrol of the surrounding area. One officer noticed car lights in the distance, so he drove to investigate, at which point the deputy caught up with the car and turned his police lights, signaling the car to pull over. The occupants of this car were, of course, of course, Gary Davis and Rebecca Fincham. Right. And the, the uh, officer would ask, what are you folks doing out here? Um, they said, oh, we were just going fishing. Is everything all right? He would say, Ginny May just went uh, missing from the ranch down the road, the deputy continued, aware that one of the May children had implicated the couple in Ginny's disappearance. I don't suppose you know where she is. Fincham ad- adamantly denied knowing anything about Ginny May's disappearance. Oh, no, I haven't seen her in a while, she replied. I hope they find her soon. This deputy was understandably suspicious. It was far too late at night to go fishing, and there was not any lakes or bodies of water near where they were driving around at. Yeah, kind of crucial. 
They're nearby. They're implicated in this murder. They're new to this town. This guy has a reputation already for maybe being violent towards women and whatnot. Right. And these kids are saying, these people took my mom, and yeah. now they're out driving around. Like, Why would two kids make that up on a whim, man? That don't even yeah. make no sense. It's, and then the, the yeah. boy was like nine. Yeah. You think like a nine-year-old? Oh, he was seven? Okay, so they were seven yeah. and four? Still seven. Still I mean, seven. my son is five, and he could... He would give you a hell of a detailed description if someone dragged his mom away, I promise you. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, at seven, they're, he's, they're both. Seven and four, they're yeah. both giving a good description at that age. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, the officer didn't have enough to detain the couple. He, all he had was, you know, speculation and whatnot. Right. Um, and the accusations of a young child weren't enough to make an arrest, so he had no choice but to let them go. However, the following morning, Rod McLennan, Jenny's father, decided to go over to the Davis home and talk to the couple personally. When he got there, he confronted Rebecca Fincham and Davis about Krista's accusations and demanded an explanation. Uh, Gary Davis didn't say much, leaving most of the talking to his wife. Rebecca told Rod the same story she had told the deputy, that she and Davis had gone fishing that night and hadn't seen anything unusual. Fincham stood in the yard of her home, crying and smoking a cigarette as she even expressed hope that Jenny would soon be found. Wow. To me, like, Trying to get that, Oscar. that says everything. That says everything. Like, how twisted. If man. you don't know this woman, you just moved to this town. You would not be crying if she disappeared. Like, you're showing your guilt on that. Yeah. That is, that's twisted, man. That is really twisted. She said, she said, quote, We want to do everything we can to help find your daughter. I know how you feel. I was once raped. Oh. First of all, who said anything who said, about rape? That's one of those weird say, moments. Wait a minute. That's one of those weird moments where you're like, wait. She's just missing for a day now. Who said anything about rape? Right. I guess she's trying to say, like, I was taken against my will and attacked. I was kidnapped. Perhaps. Or whatever. Who knows? But you're jumping to conclusions there. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you truly don't know what's going on. Yeah. Seriously. Um, so Rod McLennan at one point made eye contact with Gary Davis. He said, quote, Gary, I swear if you have done anything to my daughter, I will fucking kill you. Davis silently sneered at McLennan and walked away. After the visit, Rod felt like he knew the truth, like he'd seen everything he needed to see, and he knew that they did something to his daughter. Yeah. Just a few hours later, officers would arrive at the Davis home, and Rebecca Fincham and Gary Davis were arrested on suspicion of uh, kidnapping Ginny May. And upon searching the couple's residence, police found numerous disturbing items, such as sex toys, porno magazines, lewd letters, and even some pictures of nude children. Mm. That's enough right there okay. to lock them up, right? I mean, I mean yeah, child definitely porn. the pictures of nude children. The rest of the stuff is I mean, yeah, not the dildos and legal. Porn. That's there's nothing wrong with the other three things. But I was gonna say disturbing items, uh, sex toys, and yeah, pornography. I mean, they're gonna find that in most homes. Yeah, that's not that's not that bad. But the, <laughs> the pictures of nude children. That's what we need to focus on. That is the worst. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That should be enough right there to at least detain them, right? Yeah. So at the sheriff's office, Gary Davis had a brief chat with his wife. Quote, we're done for. The ball game's over, babe. Do people not realize that when you're in police custody, you're in an interrogation room, a cell, whatever, you have complete you're privacy, to, bro. Oh, wait. Like, <laughs> the phone calls you have with people also being recorded, like, yeah. you don't got any fucking privacy. Maybe, maybe when you're talking to your attorney, that's the only time. Yeah, maybe. That you might be able to speak in confidence. That's about it, but... That's it. Yeah, you're having a phone call with your girlfriend or the person that's also implicated in the crime. They're definitely listening to what you're saying. Oh, without a doubt. And they have every right to. <laughs> you're in their custody. Um, Rebecca, however, believed that she and Davis could still talk their way out of this. She said, quote, don't tell them shit. We st we'll get a lawyer. Mm. The following day, however, on, June, on July 23rd, 1986, Gary met up with his public defender and decided to come clean. 
He told his attorney that he was willing to make a deal. If the prosecution allowed him to plead guilty and promise not to seek the death penalty against him, he would lead police to Virginia May. I'm wow. smiling because I know how this whole thing turns out. I know, it's right? Amazing. <laughs> he he made twist. a deal, but he made a <laughs> he, he missed a, a detail in the writing there. <laughs> he didn't read that fine so, print. Yeah, so trying to avoid the death penalty, he came clean and brought them to Ginny uh, May's body. The district attorney would agree to the deal, and Davis pointed on a map where he and Fincham left the victim. At the location in the middle of a wheat field, police found the nude, bullet-riddled body of a 33-year-old Virginia May. Mm. And nobody knows exactly what happened between Gary Davis, Rebecca Fincham, and Ginny May after the kidnapping. But he did, you know, later confess to most of the details. So we know mostly what happened. Yeah. Um, Davis and Fincham each blamed each other for what happened. According to a confession, Davis later made to police. He said he climbed into the backseat of the car while Fincham drove into the Colorado desert. There, he forced Ginny May to remove all of her clothing and sexually assaulted her while holding her down. Eventually, Rebecca stopped the car in an isolated area in the desert, neighboring Adams County. There, Davis loped a rope around Ginny's neck and led her from the car, uh, using the rope as a leash. He then forced her to lie down and raped her at knife point, as he tended to do. That was kind of his MO. Mm-hmm. When he was finished, Fincham wanted to turn. This is fucking just, this, this is a tough one here. Yeah. He then forced Ginny to perform oral sex on his wife, threatening to kill her if she didn't comply. Mm. It's fucking sick, man. I mean, how so do you make that up? T- I tend to believe this whole this this whole confession because yeah. just why would you make this up? It's crazy yeah, that this was his down. confession, right? And then in court, mm-hmm. he tries to he tries to blame Fincham, which she's just mm-hmm. as guilty. But I mean, you can't put it all on her, obviously. Yeah. After this confession. Jesus. Yeah. So after this was done, Jenny supposedly begged for her life, promising him that she wouldn't tell anyone. Davis instead bludgeoned Jenny across the head with the stock of his 22, 22 caliber rifle, shattering her skull and causing internal hemorrhaging. The blow stunned Jenny, but didn't kill her or even knock her unconscious. As she lied on the ground, moaning in agony, Davis grabbed the rope, tied it around Jenny's neck, and both he and Fincham began pulling on it as hard as they could, attempting to strangle her. Mm. But even this failed to kill Jenny. Um, she continued to plead for mercy and offered the couple a thousand dollars if they let her go. Davis wasn't moved. He laughed at her, said it's too late for that. Grabbed his 22 caliber rifle and stood over her firing nine 22 caliber hollow point bullets into Jenny's head and one in her neck. Mm. Rebecca allegedly then asked if Gary thought she was, she was dead. He told her he'd make sure he was and reloaded his rifle and fired four more shots into Jenny's chest and pelvis. Jesus. So, what, total of almost 15 shots, somewhere around there? Yeah. Uh, For a few minutes, they stood around the body of the victim, drinking beer before they covered Jenny's body with a bale of hay, got inside their car, and drove back home. Mm. I mean, you're either, I guess you're either for the death penalty or not, but, like, if you're for it, this is... This is is a case. This is a candidate here. Mm -hmm. I mean, this, this woman was beloved by everyone and was on her own farm and was taken away in front of her children and yeah. had this happen to her. If this happened for in her like life, Florida or Texas, they're done. Oh, they're yeah. done. Both, both of them, them both of them are getting death penalty. Yeah. So on July 24th, 1986, Gary Lee Davis and Rebecca Fincham were both charged with kidnapping, rape, conspiracy, first degree murder and felony murder for the killing of Virginia May. 
Despite Davis's earlier confession, both he and Fincham pleaded not guilty to all the charges. They were ordered to be held without bail pending trial. And, of course, this crime had utterly devastated the little town of Byers. Yep. During his eulogy, the pastor of the congregation, Reverend Andrew Gottschalk, could not hold back his rage and fury. I love this, man. This this pastor, you know, they're supposed to keep it together, but this yeah. is how sick this case was. He lost it during the eulogy. He says, quote, If true justice could be served, these scum would be forced to spend the rest of their lives in a pit filled with rats, snakes, rodents, and skunks. Damn. Throughout this time, I've had conflicts with reason and emotion, love and frontier justice, and the gallows in my Christian faith. My anger and my sorrows have won out. That's how worked up they got this pastor. Yeah, he got they got they got him worked up into some Old Testament shit, filled with rats, yeah, snakes, man. rodents, and skunks. God damn! Cover his cover mm-hmm. his body with boils too. Give him leprosy. Shit. Let's just throw right. the throw the book at him. Burn him at the stake. Right. <laughs> so brutal. Let's get to the trial. Gary Davis and Rebecca Fincham were each tried separately for their murder. Uh, for the murder of Virginia May, and both pleaded not guilty to all charges. That's amazing. He can he confesses, right? Yeah. He makes a deal with the DA, uh-huh. and then he says, and then he goes with not guilty. Well, and their reasoning was they would blame each other for firing the fatal shots. To me, like you're still guilty of murder, even if you didn't pull the trigger necessarily. When you're there, you you abducted her, you raped her, you're admitting to all that, and you were there when she was killed. It really is kind of irrelevant at this point who actually pulled the trigger, in my opinion. I agree. I agree. You're both guilty um, of this murder. First degree. Yeah. Yeah. And you wait, you also both admit that you put the rope around her neck and both pulled on it simultaneously together. Yeah. Like you were both trying to kill her and she was too tough to kill with the rope. Mm. Yeah, exactly. This part is fucking amazing though. So although Davis's earlier plea deal had been intended to save him from execution, he had made a critical mistake. When he had arranged his earlier deal with the district attorney, he had hinted that Jenny May was still alive um, by not revealing that Jenny was in fact dead, Davis had broken the terms of his agreement. Therefore, oh. he was still eligible for the death penalty. Nice. Yeah, I mean, you can't say where someone's body is if you don't even say that they're dead. Right. You know, you're just guessing. Yep. So in February of 1987, after finding that Davis had known that Jenny May was dead at the time of his made agreement. A judge ruled that the plea deal was invalid and allowed the prosecution to seek the death sentence. You knew once they allowed it, like they, they figured that out. Like there's no way he wasn't going to get it, you know? Oh, they're I like, know. Ah, we can give it to you. We can give it to you now. <laughs> that lawyer knew that from the start. Probably they're like, ah, oh, we got him. Mm-hmm. How? I'll explain later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, they would, uh, unfortunately, though, decide not to go with the death penalty option against Rebecca Fincham. Um, It was a decision that they would later come to regret. Fincham was the first to go on trial in May of 1987, testifying on her own behalf. She maintained her innocence, and although she admitted she was present during the murder, she claimed that she only participated because she was afraid of Gary Davis. Oh, that old shtick. I was only doing it because I was afraid of him. Right, right, right. That's that's the uh, advantage that the woman has in these types of... Uh, trials, you know, when it's a man and woman duo, and and yeah. it, you know, and that's a typical defense lawyer tactic too. You know, the defense lawyer is pushing that too. Let's just say yeah. that you were being taken advantage of. That you're you're a victim in this too. You know, were you yeah. doing this before you met Gary? No, you weren't. See, I could do it too. That's exactly what they did. <laughs> they try to paint her as an abused housewife who was manipulated by her husband into becoming yeah. his accomplice in this crime. They claim that. She had tried to stand up for Ginny May when Davis was going to kill her. She had screamed at him for, for him to stop. And 
had pleaded with Davies to let Jenny go free. Okay. Wow. Sure. Thankfully, the jury didn't buy it, and on June 20th, 1987, they convicted Rebecca Fincham of the kidnapping, rape, and murder of Jenny May, and her sentencing would be set for August of 1987, and she faced a, a maximum sentence of life in prison. But while she awaited sentencing, Gary's, Gary Davis's trial began with the prosecution in this one seeking the death penalty. And at this time, Colorado had not carried out an execution since 1967. Wow. So it had been like, what, 30 years? Seriously. 30 years wow. since they had gotten one or since they had carried one out at least. Yeah. But the prosecutor was not determined or was determined to see that Davis died in the gas chamber for his crime. Gary's defense attorney tried to shift most of the blame to Rebecca. The murderer of Jenny May, he claimed was Rebecca's idea. If Fincham's part of the crime wasn't worthy of a death sentence, then Davis's life should be, uh, w should also be spared. Truman, uh, the, the defense attorney, even recalled, uh, called forth a psychologist who testified that the gunshot wounds to Ginny May's breast and torso were indicative of being inflicted by an enraged woman seeking to disfigure her rival. An obvious attempt to pin the killing on Fincham. But what about the uh, nine shots to the skull, though, guy? Yeah, what, what about, about those? Because those were first and yeah. most likely the fatal ones, especially with a twenty-two mm -hmm. caliber at close range. The argument could be made still that maybe she did fire those, but the nine shots. So you could have seen a scenario where he shoots her in the head nine times, and then she asks, is she dead? And he hands her the gun, and she puts those in her to kind of, if yeah. I'm him in that scenario, <clears throat> you can see a motive there to like implicate her to the extent that she also shot, you know, they're in it together. You know, we've right. seen that before. Yeah. You're, you're shooting her too, because we did this together. Yeah. You can see that. And at that point, I think there's something, you know, that's not a, the most outlandish theory that the, a woman might have shot her in the breast and torso or whatever. But, right. Um, the prosecution would counter by playing a tape-recorded confession to the jury in which Davis described the murder of Ginny May in gruesome detail. Detail, the prosecutor said, that only the killer would know. Mm. Um, let's get into some quotes from Gary's confession. Quote, we drove over to what's known as the as Ewing Place, at which time I got Ginny out of the car. I had a small t rope and tied it around her neck loosely. He then described how Ginny May had pleaded for her life and how he had shot her. Quote, I couldn't leave because she would have went right, in ho right home and everything. I went back 15 feet away from the body, pointed the gun at her and turned my head and just pulled the trigger. Mm. So with these quotes from his confession, the verdict came down after only three hours of deliberation on July 21st, 1987, one year to the day after the murder of Jim Ginny May, the jury found Gary Lee Davis guilty of rape, murder, uh, and kidnapping. The following day on July 22nd, he appeared in court again for his sentencing hearing. This time he pleaded with the jury to spare his life. Mm -hmm. Well, perhaps death will be the quickest and easy way out for me. He told the jury, but I think my life might still have purpose. Nope. If I do get life, maybe I could help somebody else. I could talk them out of the crime and keep them from going back to the penitentiary. But you can't keep yourself from going back to the penitentiary. Come on, right. Gary. You've been, you've had Come time on. in prison to contemplate life and your actions and gotten out and done even more worse shit right. after that. How are you going to help, Gary? Again. How are you going to help? I yeah. love how he tried to uh, humanize himself when he testified in court with his confession by saying that he turned his head and pulled the trigger. Man, come on, Gary. You just raped a woman at knife point, kidnapped her from her own home in front of her children, and you're trying to like give yourself some kind of humanity. You expect me to believe that from 15 feet away, with your head turned away, you hit her all nine times in the head. Thank you. That, okay. that as well. Yeah. That is mm -hmm. also another great point. Pretty incredible come there, on. John Wick. Yeah. <laughs> 
He also says to the jury, quote, I know what I have done is hard for anyone to forgive and probably never will. It was sick. It was a sick, stupid crime. The words I'm sorry seem very small, but I'm saying I'm sorry to the family and many friends of Ginny May. Yeah, that's worthless apology. The jury was not moved by Davis's apology. After deliberating for three hours, the jury returned with a unanimous verdict for death penalty. In accordance with the jury's recommendation, Judge Harlan Bachman sentenced Gary Lee Davis to death in the gas chamber for the murder of Virginia May and imposed four life sentences on the charges of conspiracy, kidnapping, and rape. Mm. The following month, August uh, on August 13, 1987, Rebecca Fincham bef- appeared before her ju- judge to be sentenced for her role in the murder. For her crime, she was sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole for 48 years, plus an additional 54 years for the kidnapping and rape charges. But before she could become eligible for parole in 2008, she died in prison from a heart attack at the age of 57. Wow. Well, good. Not the healthiest person. No. She, she was pretty overweight. Oh, okay. Yep. Well, um, good riddance. For 10 years, Gary Lee Davis remained on death row at Colorado State Penitentiary in, Can- in Cannon City, Colorado. While in prison, he claimed to be a born-again Christian and began to reunite with estranged members of his family. Mm-hmm. And in 1990, the Supreme Court denied his petition for a new trial and set his execution date for January 5th, 1991. Claiming he would later he would rather die than spend the rest of his life in prison, he decided to drop his pending federal appeals and not fight his execution. However, as we see, as that day approaches and mm-hmm. you see like it's actually happening, just one day before he was supposed to be strapped to the gurney in the penitentiary's death chamber, yeah, he, got he cold changed feet. his mind. He got cold feet, changed his mind, and decided to file his federal appeals and his execution was yet again stayed. Um, right. And actions like these would become a con- common occurrence with him, who would alternate between filing and dropping appeals throughout the 1990s, ultimately escaping five execution dates. Jesus. In the end, after much prodding from an anti-death penalty from anti-death penalty groups and members of his own family, Davis would choose to fight his execution. Uh, ultimately, however, his efforts would get the death sentence commuted were all in vain. So Good. he kept trying. But at a certain point, they decided, nope, you're getting it. Yeah. They said, and it's been 30 25th, years. We're going to get somebody. I don't know why I'm making yep. them like they're old. Yeah, right. They, they probably saw that it was going to, they, they figured it was going to come to an end soon. They got to get one last hoorah in there. That's right. That's right. And who better than this guy? Um, <laughs> on June 25th, 1997, nearly 10 years after his conviction, the U.S. Supreme Court declined to hear Gary Davis's appeal, his one of many appeals. Finally, they'd had enough. And on October 1st, Gary Davis received his final execution date. He would die by lethal injection at 8 p.m. on October 14th, 1997. So I'm guessing at this point they had moved away from the gas chamber thing because that was what he was initially supposed to die. Right. Was gas chamber, right? And then they had gone more to the lethal injection thing. Yeah. Over the course of the 10 years. Yeah. Jeez. Man. So he had some thoughts about uh, Ted Bundy, a case that we spent about, what, three hours on uh, on Patreon? At least. At least. Talked very much about his days on death row and his days of execution and all of that. Yes. Um, he had some words about this. Knowing he'd likely end up in a similar predicament, Gary Lee Davis paid attention when Ted Bundy was executed in Florida's electric chair in 1989. So this is back. He talked about it uh, before he was even on death row. Just hours before his execution, Bundy granted his last interview as we know, to psychologist and evangelist James Dobson, in which Bundy told Dobson that his murderous attacks on women could be traced back to his adolescent fascination with pornography. So Mm -hmm. he tried to blame porn for what he had done. Yeah, okay. Uh, 
Gary Davis thought Bundy was lying. No shit. He says, quote, <laughs> I can't see how looking at naked pickage, pictures would make somebody kill someone. He wrote to a letter in a friend to a friend in a letter uh, a few weeks after Bundy's death. "Quote: That's a cop out. Anyone who believes that is sh- uh, believes that shit is pure stupid." <laughs> well, um, what is it, then, said, Gary? Yeah, right. Gary. That being said, uh, excused many of his own actions. Um, his favorite scapegoat for himself was his alcoholism. Oh, he yeah. said, "Quote: Sober, I consider myself a real nice person, but drunk, a real life monster." Mm-hmm. And if you know that about yourself, homie, you know that when you drink, you're liable to go out and commit heinous acts against women. You're going to rape them, kill them. Yeah. Why the fuck do you pick up the alcohol then? If you're a real nice person and you know that about yourself, yeah, I would stay clear of every bar, every person that drinks around me and never drink again. Right. That's what a really nice person would do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's my yeah. opinion as well. Not even a really nice person, just not a monster. Just not <laughs> like, a monster. Just an average just person. Just not a fucking just monster. Just an average person. Yeah, you don't even have to be really nice. Dire. Just like, yeah, I drink this, I do this thing, and then I may go out and rape and kill people. You don't have to be a real nice person to not do that. That's true. You just got to be a person who doesn't want to go to prison and ruin their own life even. You know, yeah. you, you just, at bare minimum, you have to be that. He's not even that. Fucking hates himself. So continuing in this letter to his friend regarding Bundy's confession, he added, quote, I've always had a strong driving force inside of me for some reason. Alcohol let me go for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in letters to his longtime confidant, he estimated, this is where we got that number uh, of him raping 15 women in the 60s and 70s. Um, God. And then his last hope for the governor of Colorado to commute his sentence days before his scheduled execution, he made a televised apology to the May family and filed a petition for clemency to Colorado Governor Ray Ro- Roy Romer asking for mercy. But Ro- Romer refused to grant mercy to the convicted killer. Quote, there has undoubtedly been some rehabilitation of his character and his demeanor, Governor wrote in his denial. But I do not believe that whatever remorse or rehabilitation that is displayed here justifies reaching that extraordinary event that would cause the governor to grant him clemency. So Mm -hmm. on uh, October 14th, 1997, at 12 p.m., Gary Davis was escorted from death row to a small holding cell just down the hallway from his execution chamber. His last meal would be chocolate and vanilla vanilla ice cream. Not quite a meal. That's it? That's all he ate? Just ice cream. And he actually shared the meal with the prison superintendent and corrections manager. Quote, food tastes better when it's shared, Davis joked. He later asked for a cigarette, but because smoking was banned in Colorado prisons, his request oh, was Oh, I couldn't even get a cigarette. Damn. <laughs> uh, wow. When given the opportunity to make a last statement, he said nothing. And at 8.24 p.m., he was injected with a deadly cocktail. And by 8.33, the induced cardiac arrest uh, killed him, and he was pronounced dead. Good riddance. Yeah. Good riddance, old Gary. Bad Gary. Bad Gary. Bad Gary. And old bad Becky. Yep. She got hers too a lot earlier. Right? Well, yep. yeah, heart attack. Probably would have got her whether she was on the outside or inside, but still. Yeah, at least she spent those years leading up to that heart attack in prison, I suppose. That's right. That's right. Yep. Well, crazy case. Yep. Thanks again, Jana. Uh, yeah, thanks, Jenna. Yeah. And uh, go go Avalanche in this series. Hell Tampa, yeah. you guys had your you guys had your couple cups in the last few years. You you, you, you can you can spare one to yeah. a team that hasn't gotten one in over two decades. Exactly. Share share the championships, Tampa Bay. Share the wealth a little bit. Come on. Seriously, share the wealth like we do Golden with Knights all of will our get listeners. One eventually. We we help, we share yeah, all. Share of our the wealth, wealth in your armpits. That's right. That's what we do. We share oh our Omagaya, guy. guys. Yeah. 
Oh My Guy is an innovative all-natural deodorant fragrance and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. And at Oh My Guy, they use only all-natural paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients. Guys, like I've told you so many times before, there is definitely a scent and a vibe for you at Oh My Gaia. From vanilla to cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside, bergamot, amber. And we have our own scent, True Crime Pine, made just for us here at True Crime Guys by Oh My Gaia. We can't express our gratitude. You got to order that soon, right? Isn't uh, isn't that a limited thing? Is it's going bye bye? Is it? Is True Crime Pine going bye bye? I thought so. I thought that's what that recent post was all about. Like, get your true crime pine while you can, because I think it was. Uh, oh, going extinct. Oh, okay. I didn't know if it was just on. I could sale. be wrong. I don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe it was just on sale. I yeah. hope not. I hope it's not going away. But if it is, get it while you can. Yeah, seriously. Either way, it's on sale right now. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And you guys, but it's always on sale for True Crime Guys listeners because you guys can use the word creeper for 15% off your order. That's C R E E P E R for 15% off at shop underscore oh my Gaia on Instagram or oh my guy.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. Tell them True Crime Guys sent you, all right? That's right. Also tell Tonic CBD that True Crime Guys sent you and pick yourself up some of the highest quality CBD you can get. Yes. Not all CBD products are created equal from how it's uh, grown and processed to how it's formulated and delivered into your body. Every step of the process that goes into making it uh, ultimately affects your experience with it. Tonic has original formulas using CBD adaptogens, herbs, and superfoods, and has been working to deliver the most effective, intentional, and sustainable products since 2017. They cultivate their own hemp in their certified organic farm in upstate New York. That hemp travels only 30 minutes to their state-of-the-art manufacturing and distribution facility where it's turned into a finished product and sent to you, ensuring only the highest quality vibes at every stage of the process. Tonic's farm-to-bottle CBD plus botanical blends are uniquely formulated to provide targeted support where you need it most. Each and every high-quality ingredient is thoughtfully selected for its ability to support and enhance the benefits of CBD, resulting in a more effective, well-rounded, and consistent wellness solution for your mind and body. They have different blends, CBD mixed with things like black seed oil, which is a super powerful antioxidant. Um, It's great for your immune system. Um, And they have different blends for your needs, you know, so you can test each one out. Um, there's also a microchip on the top of each product's tube packaging, which allows you to tap the phone on the top of the tube and reveal the third party lab reports, product information, details about their farm, and even helpful blog posts to provide you with some more CBD education. So with values rooted in quality, integrity, and sustainability, Tonic is committed to creating plant-based wellness products that are good for the people and good for the planet. Visit tonicvibes.com to learn more and use code word creeper to save 20% on checkout. That's tonicvibes.com code word creeper. Guys, right tonic should be a part of your, not just tonic, but CBD should be a part of your daily routine. It's got so many benefits when you really look into it. It's kind of just amazing. So, it really is. It really is. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about it. <clears throat> it's, there's no psychoactive thing to it. You know, some people are still a little bit scared because it's attached to you know, the marijuana plant and whatnot, but there's no, uh, there's no um, THC in no. it. So. No THC, no psychoactive effects whatsoever, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> there's, there's places for that as well. That's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, also, we should talk about Patreon, right? Well, let's talk about the fact that this is on YouTube real quick. Uh, okay. We always forget to mention that. Let's do that. Check then. out our YouTube page. Subscribe to that. Uh, a lot of you have not gone and checked that out yet. You can watch our episodes as well as listen to them. Yeah. And while you watch it, it's a different experience. There's pictures of the killers, pictures of the crime scenes a lot of times. Mm-hmm. 
and all the things that you're Googling while you're listening to a podcast, those are already there for you popping up as you're watching Boom. it on YouTube. Just like that. So yeah, check that out. There's more to offer on the YouTube channel as well. We record a full house fantasy football podcast mm -hmm. on there. We've been doing some mock drafts lately. Those are on YouTube. You can watch us doing our drafts, right? Um, there's a lot to offer on there. So check that out. No doubt. Um, and, and then definitely Patreon, man. Yeah. And then if you're on Patreon, you get a whole lot more of us in video form because uh, we do mm -hmm. just the banter uh, every single week in video form as well. And uh, me and Andy jump on every fourth strange shorts and we do a video version of that. So there's a lot more to offer on Patreon. Patreon.com slash true crime guys. Uh, for $2 a month, you will get access to all of the Patreon exclusives that we have released so far. I think we're, there's 60 something of them. There's five years worth, give or take, you know, one a month for so for five years or so. And um, also. Don't you want to announce that a lot of our old episodes are going away and they're going that's on That's what Patreon? I'm going to say. And those are. Yeah, okay. that's what I was going to get to. Those are also going to be on that $2 tier where you can get the Patreon exclusives. So for $2 a month, you'll always be able to hear the entire True Crime Guys catalog. Um, but what Lauren is alluding to is on the 1st of July, starting the 1st, um, one episode a day will be dropping from the free platform and going into the Patreon vault uh, at True Crime Guys, patreon.com slash True Crime Guys. On there, like I say, on the $2 tier. And you guys will still be able to hear all those old episodes. For how many days will this happen? How many episodes are going going on to the uh, Patreon? We're going we're gonna to archive the first 50 Okay. The first 50. So we still will have well over 150 episodes available um, on the free platform. And that's not counting all of the other, the Freeloader series stuff is still going to be on the free platform. Um, you know, the Sandu stories, uh, exclusives that we've, we've released, um, Higher Thoughts, all that stuff, all the extra stuff will still stay on the free platform as little teasers and whatnot. So we just wanted to make cool. you guys aware. Um, it's just kind of, it just kind of cleans up the feed a little bit. Helps our RSS feed and whatnot. Just helps clean things up. So as of the 1st of yep. July, old episodes, starting with episode number one, will be disappearing and going into the TCG vault on Patreon. All right. Yep. And then the $5 tier, you get everything. You get everything we ever you, make. That's it. For th really, it's almost too much content. It's too much content. But maybe some people would disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on how much you like us. <laughs> right, right. It's a lot. Yeah. You get a lot of shit. I feel like I feel like we have, you know, we have listeners on both ends of the spectrum. We got some people that's like, I can't wait for the new release and then there's uh, then there's people that's like I'm never going to get through all this. Like it's cool to support the yeah. guys for a little while. I'm never going to get through all this. Because <laughs> there's but just it's nice a ton to know shit. that if something happened, maybe you're laid up with an injury or surgery or something. And it's yeah. like you, you got endless content there available at your fingertips with That's the $5 right. tier. That's right. Yeah. So there's just the banter we do every week, strange shorts uh, every week, access to the TCG Patreon exclusive, Lauren's five. We've done 82 murder show. just the banters. 82, 82 just, just the banters. banters. Wow. Yeah. You get all of those. You can, and you get all the Patreon exclusive, all the big hitter yep. serial killers that you're like, have we? Have they done that guy? Most likely we have on Patreon. Yep. And most likely it was a two, three hour episode. We've released a handful of them on the main feed so you can get a taste of what those are like. Yeah. Um, but there's so much more on Patreon. No doubt. No doubt. And also your five minute murder show also went with video. I forgot mm -hmm. about that. Yep. So that's every yep. Saturday you get access to that as well. So it's, it's a pile of shit over there on Patreon waiting for y'all. No doubt. That's not the best uh, sale of it. It's no. a pile of shit over there it, waiting for your five dollars. It's a lot of it. It's a lot of shit. It's a pile. TCG pile right there. We just keep pile of steaming shit just, waiting for you over there. We just keep throwing stuff on there and you sort through it. You know. Yeah. There's some gold in there. Yeah. You just sort through it. There's a giant stinking turd uh, waiting for you over there on <laughs> Patreon.com. That's true. right. Go get it. 
yeah. All right. Is All there right, anything everybody. else? Is there anything else? That's it, man. All Have right. a great week. We'll see you next week for uh, another freebie. Yep. Um, keep creeping. Keep creeping, guys. Cheers. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us, cause you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. True crime guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us, cause you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the Creeper Army. We out here making murder charming. You hush your mouth, boy.